Today's episode is brought to you by Rocket IT. Is your team still working remotely? Is it starting to look like a more permanent solution? Let us help you streamline that experience and increase productivity by creating a reliable network, increasing collaboration, and boosting security. Click the link in this video's description for more information about Rocket IT's Remote Workforce Roadmap. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 23 of the Rocket IT Business Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hyatt, and today we're talking with my friend and business coaching extraordinaire, Mr. Lee Wolf. For the past 31 years, Lee has served as the president of Halogenics, serving as both a coach and consultant to organizations like Chick-fil-A, IBM, Fujifilm, Emory University, General Mills, and even Rocket IT. Through his expertise, Lee continues to help business owners create cultures of high performance while empowering people to shine brighter and embrace their talents. And now with his more recent involvement with Convene, Lee is looking to connect leaders who want to develop best practices and maximize performance. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Super glad to have you here. You and I have uh, known each other for a good long time, and uh, you have been helping my team, and we have seen the result of your influence on the organization. And so I wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to spend some time with you. Uh, because they don't know you, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background. What is your professional background, and how did you get into the coaching business? Well, I have a bachelor's and master's degree I got from the University of Georgia. I have experienced organizational dynamics as varied as the Army and Fortune 50 Corporation and family business. I have everything from business size to different industries. And what I found is that people who are running businesses, executives, need somebody that they can rely on, somebody they can talk to somebody that has expertise to be able to relate to their conditions and their struggles. You know, it's funny you say that. Absolutely correct. Executives do need people that they can talk to. And I have several times in the past told folks that uh, being an entrepreneur or a business owner can be a very lonely experience because if things aren't going well or if there's stress, in, uh, in our lives, there are not many folks that we can talk to. We can't talk to our employees right. about it because that would scare them and probably uh, make things more, less stable, right? Less stable than they might otherwise be. We can't talk to our customers about it. And we most certainly can't go home and talk to our spouse about it because that would scare that person too. And so having someone from the outside that's maybe not directly vested from a financial perspective can be very helpful. Just, just in being able to talk. And I imagine that's true with managers too. You know, they, if, if someone's struggling, they don't want to go to their boss and say, Hey, I'm really struggling here. Can you help me? Because that might put them on shaky ground and, uh, and all the other same dynamics must, must apply. That's true. Did you start out thinking, you know, someday I'd like to, uh, to be a, a business consultant. Or is that something that kind of came along later? No, I was pretty much thrust into it. <laughs> As um, when our family business was acquired, I uh, showed the the acquiring company what needed to be done, mm. and they were very impressed. And <laughs> worked with them for five years, and they finally said, "Come show us nationally what you do locally." Oh, really? Wow. So, so I started working with the 50 or so locations that they had nationally, helping them improve their performance. And, hmm. and that's how my consulting business began. It was wow. an internal consulting effort. <laughs> and it worked out well. It's a huge spread between companies like you know, General Mills. Everybody knows that, that organization. Chick-fil-A, a lot of folks know that organization and small businesses like Rocket IT and others. And I know you've worked with a number of locally based businesses here in Gwinnett County. How in the world do you manage the differences between those? 
I, I'd struggle. I'll just give you an example. I, I know that I have struggled and I've talked to you about this in the past, even hiring somebody out of a large organization and bringing them into a small organization. Often there's such a culture shock there. Yeah. That's a difficult transition. How do you, how do you find it working in those different, you have to sort of put a different hat on when you go into these different organizations? Not really. Really? The issues of business are the same, no matter what the size is. Interesting. You, you get to a hierarchy that's much stronger in a larger business, mm-hmm. but, but the issues are almost identical from one organization to another. Hmm. So it's a matter of working through the structure of whatever the company has from a communication and coordination standpoint mm-hmm. and a leadership standpoint. But when you're working at the top of an organization, which is what I do, they're, they're very, very similar. How about that? I wouldn't have guessed that. Tell us about the name Halogenics. Where did that come from? It's, we decided that we were interested in shining the light on problems and solutions. Mm-hmm. And the halogen bulb is the most bright bulb that you can, you can acquire. So halogen is the first part of the name to uh, reflect what we do. And Mm. EX is for excellence, which has to do with the results. So we we shine a light and we create excellence and results. So in our name, we have our mission. I love it. Yeah, that's that's very nice. I I hadn't necessarily thought about that before, but I love how you put that together. So tell me... I've, I often refer to you and I often introduce you to my, my friends and colleagues as our business coach. I have gotten the impression maybe that's not your favorite description. You think of yourself maybe as a business consultant or a mentor. Tell us a little bit about what does Halogenics do? How do you describe the organization? Well, business performance consulting is a fundamental that we mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. Executive coaching comes with that or mm-hmm. can be separate depending upon the need of the organization. And mm-hmm. both are supported by behavior profiles that we use in order to expedite results uh, in working with people. Got it. Do you have a preference? Do you find it more fun to work with large organizations or small ones? No. I, I, I prefer to work locally. Mm. Uh, I have traveled enough in my career. <laughs> right. I don't need uh, any more. I don't need to wear out any more seats on aircraft. I, right. <laughs> yeah. How's the uh, How's the Zoom and Teams deal working out for you? It works okay. I miss the interpersonal relationship, mm-hmm. which I think most people do. But the thing I appreciate the most about it is the commute time. Yeah, right. It's a lot easier, right? Yeah. I know uh, for our team, we've got some folks that are closer to uh, services like high-speed internet, and some are a little further away. And so that's one challenge we run into a little bit is just sometimes if somebody's not got a great internet connection. And I'm, I'm right here in you know metro Atlanta. I, I don't even have great internet at my house. And so sometimes I have to come into the office to do that. It seems like that's working out okay for you. Yes, it's, it's working fine. Yeah. So let's let's jump into talking a little bit about businesses and some of the common pitfalls we all run into. We are all somewhat familiar with the statistics of the number of businesses that uh, start every year and the number that fail. And it's always rather shocking to hear how many businesses just don't make it past their first year or five years. A lot of businesses never make it to... Uh, hundred thousand dollars in revenue or a million dollars in revenue. Of course, the statistics are worse and worse the higher you go. Mm-hmm. What do you find are some of the potential hurdles that folks just have to eliminate out of the box if they're going to have any kind of staying power? Well, the traditional answer to that is is cash and cash flow, mm-hmm. where people are they, they just fundamentally don't have enough cash to right. start the business, but. Beyond that, I find that there's other conditions that are there. I found that interpreters can pursue their vision too far and too fast. Hmm. 
and and their expectations that their unique approach to their market will create demand in the short term, it often does not. Mm. The net result is a lack of truly objective planning and forecasting that identifies significant obstacles in advance. Hmm. So you think it's a good idea to have a great business plan and a ton of cash in the bank to start a business? Well, I don't think you need a ton of cash. I think you need <laughs> enough to be able to support yourself and, and move forward. But you also have to be realistic in, in mm -hmm. what the revenue stream is going to be able to generate. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's, it's one of those conditions that having some objectivity prior to the investment effort that you're making as an entrepreneur can add a lot of benefit. Hmm. You know, it's funny, uh, these days, there seems to be this huge focus on two, two things. One is failing fast with a new business yeah. and then and then the other is getting funded you know we hear that a lot a lot of entrepreneurs particularly in the tech world right it seems like their entire focus is to get to attract venture capital funding angel funding and and get money in the door what do you think of those two concepts well i think what i found is that People who are starting businesses and have a, a focus on their market focus and raising funds like you're talking about, often are reticent to get assistance. Hmm. The assistance that's available even free hmm. through SBDC, through mm -hmm. other organizations, with ex retired executives, for example, is available, right. available to anybody. And, and and even then, they tend to resist it because they're just single-minded and single-focused and mm. narrow-visioned. And that's what gets them into trouble more than anything else. Mm -hmm. They can create an exciting message to raise funds, but getting the, uh, the down-and-dirty work done is often more difficult than they imagine. Right. Uh, the business is easy. Running a business is very simple. You run it by the numbers. Until people are involved, then all bets are off. <laughs> right. So it's the people issues that often will undo hmm. the business. So do you prefer failing fast or slow success? <laughs> I, I think depending upon your situation, both can be. A, a really key. interesting. Yeah. I don't know. As as the uh, a member of a steadfast member of the slow success crowd, the failing fast thing has always sort of made me scratch my head a little bit. So, go ahead. There is a significant difference between people who are successful as entrepreneurs and people who are excellent employees. Mm. And sometimes people who are excellent employees think they have the ability to start and run a business on their own and they find mm. out the hard way they don't. There's a lot of, a lot of moving parts there, right? Yeah. It's a different attitude, Matt. It, mm -hmm. It's a, it's almost a sacrificial attitude that uh, interpreters have to have. They, they put themselves on the line and, and sacrifice basically everything for where they're trying to go. Whereas employees, who make that decision are losing the security that they had as an employee. And mm -hmm. that becomes an obstacle to them mm. and to their families. And it often can undo what they're trying to accomplish. Right. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I think the experience that I have seen and the people that I've known over the years is the, the idea of an employee turned entrepreneur. And by the way, I've, I belong to that club. So I was an employee and turned an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. The ability to do that fades with age, I think. And I think it all has to do with not just what you're used to, but also what, what you have to lose potentially. And so my thinking is, is that becoming, choosing to be, to start a business and become an entrepreneur is often something that is maybe more easily accomplished when you're young 
uh, because you don't have as much of risk. Maybe you don't quite, you know, maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you don't have kids or mortgage, those kinds of things. It might be easier to make that leap in your uh, 20s or in some cases, even your teens than it might be when you're 40, 50 or, or more. Do you find that to be true or uh, do you think that uh, just depends on the situation? No, I think you're, I think you're right. That's what I'm calling security. Mm-hmm. When you when you have a need for security and uh, consistency, becoming an entrepreneur does not fit that right. status because that you you are risking the ultimate condition mm-hmm. when you start a business. Well, let's move on. So, speaking of employees, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges. You you said yourself, gosh, if it was just as simple as uh, hey, I need to have a certain amount of money in the bank and a, a business plan, and here's my my marketing plan and, and what I'm going to do uh, might be easy. Then you throw people into it and suddenly it gets complicated. How do you manage that well? And I know you've been involved a number of times, even with Rocket IT, as we've attempted to find and onboard new team members. So, you know, speaking from, from experience, what do you find are some of the common pitfalls? And do you think business owners are maybe too quick or too slow to make those kinds of hiring decisions. It's interesting you have a question like that because in one organization you can have both conditions. Really? Where you can hire too fast in certain circumstances and you can hire far too slow in other circumstances. I've seen both conditions and both have serious detrimental effects on the business. Hiring or failing to hire are both based on a lack of understanding of the needs of the business from a personnel standpoint. This includes defining job requirements, recruit planning and selection, proper onboarding is a a critical aspect, and the preparation of performance-based evaluations. Hmm. When those things are in place, you have a structure that you can apply and use when the need arises for personnel. The commitment and complexity required to have that be consistent and effective in a hiring process is often intimidating to an interpreter who functions on the fly mm-hmm. because it's, I know what I'm doing. Let's just, <laughs> let's just move ahead. So they make quick decisions in hiring and firing. And the result is they find they experience very costly turnover. Mm-hmm. And the turnover conditions will often prevent them from moving forward on hiring because they are just trying to avoid overhead increase. Right. And so it's a, it's a kind of a self-fulfilling condition that moves from one extreme to the other. Speaking from experience, that's a ton of work, putting, putting together the list of conditions under which you'll hire, the job requirements, being able to assess candidates, doing the marketing necessary to attract quality candidates in the first place, onboarding uh, new team members, just planning for that, I think could take quite a lot of, of energy. Is there a canned approach that can work or is this really every entrepreneur needs to sort of invent this uh, process for themselves? It is very culture focused, Matt. Hmm. So you have to have a structure that works with your environment works with your mission, mm-hmm. works with the purpose that you have in mind for your business, because the recruiting process is very, very unique for, for companies who have specific needs. Hmm. Here's one of them. Yours is one of them that has a high sure. technical demand yes. for, for capability and competency. Also a high demand for continual learning. Mm-hmm. So you have a culture focus that defines who you need to recruit and Mm. all companies will have the same kind of emphasis depending upon where they are. It it can become an emotional decision too, sometimes hiring or firing. Mm -hmm. We get particularly enamored of someone because of uh, their personality or sense of humor, or even just the way that uh, they present themselves in an interview. Uh, when maybe not always uh, the competency might not always kind of line up. Do you find that's a common pitfall? It is. 
and, and I, in working with clients, particularly from an interview process, there is there is a relationship that's developed during an interview that can be deceptive. Mm. And that's where uh, behavior profiles come in that can be highly objective and beneficial. But fundamentally, I like to explain to clients that hiring a person is an investment decision. Hmm. And thinking of it as an investment decision, you have to determine how the investment will be identified and how it will be used to be able to advance the business. So you can take a little bit more objective approach when you think of hiring in that way. Clear performance objectives and measurement are also a critical condition. Mm -hmm. In general, underachievers negatively impact cultures. I'm gonna give a short answer to this very significant question here. Peer level accountability is often overlooked when managers see potential in an employee who is under, underachieving. I often use a sports example to demonstrate this dynamic. The decision to increase the investment with additional training, mentoring, closer supervision versus cutting losses and providing the employees opportunities elsewhere can be, actually can be supported and directed by looking at peer level personnel. Hmm. The simple approach eases management decisions to invest further and cut the losses simultaneously reinforcing the culture. I have told clients that the best possible firing decision that can be made is for peer level people to tell somebody not to come back to work. So when you say that, you're referring to the manager seeking feedback from the people that the uh, candidate work with? Yeah. Or, or are you suggesting that the people that the candidate work with actually approach the team member and say, hey, buddy, maybe you need to find a different job? What I'm saying is when the culture reaches that level, mm -hmm. where the peers feel highly competent to uh, do exactly that, you, hmm. you've reached the the pinnacle of opportunity. I have experienced that. I experienced that in my own business. And that, that was the one condition. I only had one EEOC complaint that I had to deal with. Really? Wow. And when the person came in, he came in and told me about an employee that I didn't realize was an employee. It was my <laughs> failure. I didn't recognize that. So I told him he needed to talk to my operations manager. And uh, he came in the office about 10 o'clock in the morning. He came back in the office about 530. I was impressed by that because I didn't think bureaucrats would work that late. All right. <laughs> he said his response to me was, I want to know how you do it. Hmm. I said, what are you talking about? He said, the people that this person was working with told him not to come back to work. Hmm. And. I said, I wasn't aware of that. He said, they told him that he would did not measure up to their expectation mm. of people that were going to work with them. How about that? And he said, I'm denying this, this request and just want to know how you do that. I said, well, I didn't do anything. That was up to them. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I don't know. Uh... You know, certainly had input from team members a number of times, you know, just talking about their experience with, uh, with coworkers. Of course, we're in a pretty small organization. There, there's no question uh, who works here and who doesn't, but it is interesting to hear that, that you've experienced that in one of your organizations. Well, tell, let's talk a little bit about raising people up in, inside an organization. Okay. Do you find that there are some common misconceptions when it comes to rising leaders in an organization and how, how they achieve success? Common misperceptions. I'm not sure what you mean by that. So here's, here's a common thing that happens in my industry. It certainly happened in Rocket IT and in my peers that, that I've talked with all the time. It's very frequent occurrence that happens. And that is that we have an amazing 
technologist or an amazing salesperson that is uh, technically competent and does a great job and has become sort of the de facto next manager in the organization. Hey, this person's so great at their job, we should get them to lead other people in the organization. And so I don't know that that's a, uh, it just a, over a long period of time, I don't know that that's a recipe for success. It can work, but I don't know if it's the path that I would recommend. So that's an example of maybe a, uh, a common misperception mis, uh, or, or conception of, uh, hey, we should take our best technical folks or our best workers and promote them to managers. Right. So that's that's the kind of thing that I am referring to. Do you find that, that that's a common issue out there with other businesses? It, it is. And you're exactly right. Probably the most common condition is the highest performing salesperson becoming sales manager, mm-hmm. which often is a, a miserable failure. Right. The, the, the same thing can be true of high-tech conditions where high technical competency does not lead to leadership mm-hmm. and the ability for people to, to manage others. That becomes a particularly personal agenda. Hmm. When people have the ability to lead others, it's recognized often by other mm-hmm. people, even more than supervisors, more than managers would see that. Hmm. So the relational aspects that are important from a leadership standpoint become even more critical when you're promoting and you're looking for leaders within an organization that can accomplish and maintain the culture that you're trying to promote and sustain. Right. I do think there's a pretty natural concept or idea that, you know what, if I'm, if, if I'm going to place a sales manager, I need someone who's walked in those shoes, right? I need someone who's been a successful salesperson, right. or I'm going to put a technical manager or for some of our clients, their engineering firms. I need somebody who's an engineer in order to lead other engineers. You think that's a true statement or is there value in that? Uh, or is it, you know what? No, it's all about just leadership skills versus the technical prowess of the, of the role. It depends upon the organization. You mm. have to have people in leadership in your organization that have technical competency. You cannot mm-hmm. have a conversation with someone about a technical issue dealing with a customer, which is all relational without having some basis in technical competency to carry on a communication with people Mm -hmm. internally. On the other hand, you don't have to be the highest achieving tech person Mm -hmm. in the organization. You have to be a person who is going to be accepted by the organization and and has the the ability to both challenge and support the people that that report to them. I love that, you know, we've, we've talked here on the podcast before about the support challenge matrix and how it's so important to balance those two things to be an effective leader. And it is something that I think is a learned skill. So that's something we often run into is, Hey, I've got this, this person that I think has leadership potential. They don't have the skill set yet, but they have the technical background. For example, going back to the the uh, technical manager. Luckily, I, I think that's a skill that can be learned. I don't think that necessarily folks are natural leaders. Do you, do you agree with that or no? I think you're probably right, but there are a few out there. There are a few who have natural ability. Mm. It just uh, is, is part of their experience. They learn it in school. They learn it in sports. They learn it with their families. But it's, there's a rarity. Right. You mentioned that you got started in the business consulting realm because of a sale of a family business. Mm-hmm. I'd actually like to dig into that a little bit because I think that that is something that I have found pretty common, and at least in my circles, in my industry, that a lot of my fellow entrepreneurs and business leaders 
aren't really planning for a future transition. And I have found that those that don't plan for it end up near the end of their career and, oh my gosh, now I've got an emergency. I've got this business that I need to either unload or shut down, which can be painful for all kinds of reasons. Do you find that folks do a good job of, of planning and what are the steps that you've seen are most critical in that process for those that plan well? No, most business owners do not plan well. I think it is a condition that is actually fearful. Hmm. To what way? Fearful for them to consider what the alternatives are. Fearful from a standpoint of having to look at yourself as potentially out of the picture. Hmm. And creates an anxiety that's difficult Hmm. to deal with. Uh, That is is a fundamental condition that's critical, just like starting a business. You need to have plans in place for a transition in your business, and you never know when it's going to happen. I have a client who has a customer who has a very successful business locally, about 150 employees, and he dropped dead at 50 years old. Oh, my goodness. And had no plans, no Mm -hmm. transition. Everything is up to the estate. And it's turning into a very, very difficult situation. Mm. The, The planning process for transition of business is, in my mind, as critical as the startup planning. Once you have a significant business going, you've got to be able to have a a plan to be able to protect your employees, to protect your business, protect your family. But oftentimes we get so caught up with running the business and enjoying Mm -hmm. what the benefits are of the business that we don't look at the opportunity to plan for the future. Interesting. Is that something that you work with entrepreneurs on? Well, I encourage you really need to have a team of people. You need to have your CPA, you need to have your attorney, probably need to have a a consultant to -hmm. help you. But it it takes a team to put that together because there's legal obstacles. There are conditions that you start planning. There's always transitions that will change over time whether it's with new legislation, whether it's with family environments, whether it's with environmental conditions or the condition of the business itself. Mm. So you have to be planning for flexibility Mm. and having those things addressed as part of the objective is, is critical. Yeah. I like that. One thing I've been doing for a number of years now is, uh, annually or biannually, depending on uh, what's happened in the year, meeting with our CPA and our business attorney, personal uh, financial attorney, all of those things together has been super helpful to my family. So I, I like that idea and maybe bringing a coach in also just to make sure that the transition uh, that there's a plan in place for transition because it can come sooner than we expect, can it? That's exactly right. And it can come with opportunity as well. It can come with uh, somebody approaching you to buy your business. Mm-hmm. And you have to have your resources in place to be able to deal with that as well mm-hmm. because that can be a very unsettling condition. Right. I have a client who was about to, was expecting that they were going to conclude the sale of their business December 31st. They found out in January that the purchasing company is backing out of the deal. Oh, my goodness. So those kind of things happen. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be prepared for whatever the eventual outcome would be. Well, I'll tell you what, with the year that we've had (laughs) amidst the pandemic, I think we've all become masters at uh, flexibility and planning. But as we kind of look ahead, I think there's optimism that we're going to see an end to the uh, pandemic sometime in 2021. But 
I think we all know this is, there's a bit of a wild card there. We don't really know what's going to happen. Sure. What are you advising that your clients focus on right now in this era of unknowns? Well, the conditions we have right now are, um, are so difficult for small businesses. The conditions that have been supported by the government have basically empowered large companies to be gobbling up more and more market share. Constantly evaluating market conditions and providing product solutions and support is critical for any company, but it's going to be even more critical as we move forward. I believe that we have an opportunity coming up as we start to get back to what is not considered normal, but it's going to be different. Hmm. And, and I think it's going to be different because things are going to move a lot faster internally and externally, creating opportunities for moving quickly having a flexible workforce, having a flexible dynamic approach to the market, being able to move quickly internally and externally is going to be important. Companies will have to accelerate access to new external opportunities, at the same time accelerating internally to meet new challenges. And those new challenges are going to come from clients that you don't even have at this point, mm -hmm. customers that didn't exist before we went through this, this stressful time. And the, the traditional annual goal setting is not going to work. Hmm. It's going to have to be faster objectives. It's going to have to be identifying and setting short-term objectives that will achieve monthly or quarterly goals and be required to maintain focus and initiative. That's going to be a shift in attitude. It's going to be a shift in priority because the, the organization, the small company that is responsive is going to be the one that's going to gain the, the opportunities. Mm. And it, it's, it's going to be critical that that happen. At the same time, the internal structures are going to be different. I doubt that we're, we're ever going to return completely to just face-to-face -face conditions. The, the cost effectiveness of, of Zoom communications with both customers and employees is, is beyond a doubt a benefit to the companies. I can't see us rejecting that as we move forward. Hmm. But if you take a look at it, it will accelerate the ability to communicate It'll accelerate the opportunities to communicate because it is so cost effective. And that's going to increase and require additional flexibility on, on the small business part. Hmm. You know, something you said in there, I thought fell into the easier said than done category uh, when you were talking about how we need to be prepared to move more quickly. Mm -hmm to act on opportunities and that sort of thing. And, and not only internal opportunities, but external opportunities, you know, not too hard to say that, but boy, doing it kind of left a question mark in my head a little bit, but something you said afterwards was maybe changing the velocity or the timing of our strategic planning. And that's something we've been doing at rocket it, as you know, yeah. for some time where we transitioned from a, uh, an annual strategic planning process to a quarterly strategic planning process. And that has, I think was very lucky and fortunate that we happened to do that. I don't know, maybe 12 months before the pandemic when we started doing that. And we were working with your guidance through uh, the book, the 12 week work year, right. I think that's what it's called, right? right. Is, that, is that the name of it? Right. And you're right, that was helpful to be able to just not only speed up our planning process, but to make sure that we're focused from quarter to quarter on the right things has been tremendously helpful. Are there other tips there that 
you can think of in terms of how people can prepare their businesses for that change in velocity? Yeah, I think I think it's going to come back even further. I think you're going to be looking at monthly conditions. Really? Hmm. And you're going to be looking at maybe even weekly objectives. Hmm. Because I think you're going to find customers becoming impatient. Hmm. And there's going to be a move to move farther, faster as the economy comes back. And it's going to be an opportunity to, uh, to truly accelerate in that regard. Hmm. I think you're moving in the right direction. There's no two ways about that. But you're moving in a direction that most companies haven't even considered at this point. Hmm. Interesting. In fact, I think many have just buckled down and tried to survive. Right. Rather than looking at the opportunities to structure for thriving hmm. as the business has the potential to do. How do, how do business owners and leaders know if they're moving at the right pace on these kinds of things? Is there a, an objective way of looking at our businesses to tell whether we need to put our foot on the gas or the brake? Well, the ultimate condition is the financial measurements. Hmm. And that's where employees should be very key to understanding how, uh, particularly your key leaders, should understand exactly how the organization responds from a financial impact standpoint, both positive and negative, hmm. so that they can have the flexibility and the interest to move the, the dial in the right direction. Hmm. Uh, and they don't have to wait around and stew till somebody makes a decision to tell them what to do. Right. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I remember not terribly long ago, but in the early and middle days of, of Rocket IT, a lot of thought that I put into whether to run the business as an open books business, sharing all of the nitty gritty details uh, with, with my team and whether that would be helpful or harmful to the business and the team to, to do that. And as you know, we eventually settled on that uh, different team members would have access to different levels of information. And so our executive team has uh, complete knowledge of the full P&L versus uh, some of our middle managers are going to have uh, access down to the gross profit line. And then uh, our remaining team members, you know, they have visibility into the revenue and, uh, and nothing below the revenue line. And that's worked for us. But have you seen a move for more transparency and finances with your clients over time? Or do you find that a lot of business leaders like to keep their numbers close to their chest? Well, a lot of privately held companies do exactly that, keep the numbers almost exclusively to themselves. Interesting. And that's a mistake. What you've mm -hmm. done, uh, let me tell you the caveat to that. The people that you share financial information with have to have the maturity, have to have the perspective, have to have mm -hmm. both self-confidence and the confidence of the owner that they will be justifiably involved in making decisions based mm -hmm. on the financial performance. I agree with that. That takes a while to grow those people. Mm -hmm. They don't come to you ready for that kind of condition. On the other hand, many privately held companies have people in place that they trust and they, they utilize as leaders in the organization, but they don't share the financial information with them. That's a mistake. And that is also part of what we talked about just a few minutes ago with the transition of a business. Mm -hmm. Those people will become the most critical aspect to transitioning the business, either with an acquisition or because of a right. change in ownership, for whatever reason. They will end up being more of the security going forward. So including them in financial disclosure is pretty critical. I totally agree. And I like, and I like that thought process. It was something you mentioned, though, that I think is interesting and worth diving into a little bit as you were talking about uh, our leaders being prepared and ready for that new information. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot, 
lot of times when folks are gaining access to the finances for the first time, not only are we uh, learning about things about you know how the PL works and the balance sheet and cash flow and those kinds of things, which, which is a learning process there, but I think there's also just a complete change in perspective of, uh, hey, I've been kind of looking at this from my own point of view as an employee in the organization, and now I'm gaining a new point of view from a, an owner or a stakeholder perspective. Tell us a little bit about that perspective change and why it's so important to the behavioral aspects of what we do. Well, what you're talking about is introducing risk. And when people understand that it's not just their personal income that's a priority when they're in leaders of an organization, but it is their sense of the business opportunities and downsides, their personal risk associated with it, just as the owner has dealt with for the entire time he's owned the business. Mm -hmm. And that sense of risk becomes a factor that is critical for decision-making and long-term benefit for the leaders in the organization. That's often not understood by owners of companies, and they see it as more as revealing the secrets of their business rather than forcing the opportunities on people, their leaders in particular, to share the burden and to be able to understand what's necessary to run a business. And well, I tell you what, I love that, Lee. I, I think that's so important for people to understand. And I, I think I went a long time without really understanding it. You know, there is certainly fear as a business owner of, oh my goodness, if I pull back the curtains and show folks, you know, how the business works and how it makes money and how much money it makes, that there might be some sort of uh, revolt or hmm surprise or something like that. And, and, and I'm not suggesting that isn't the case <laughs> every time that might, that it might actually be the case sometimes. But I think that idea of introducing risk when you are inviting one of your team members to share in the knowledge of how the, the mechanics of how the business makes money and what the effect of uh, decisions are on that uh, that important fuel for the organization. The ultimate result, if done successfully, is that it is no longer the sole burden of the owner or the leader to worry about that risk. And having other people involved has been, well, it's made a huge difference in my life. Yeah. And so I think that's super important. I'm glad you mentioned it. Well, I'm glad you're experiencing it very positively. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> the alternative doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> well, the alternative is picking the wrong person and yeah. not structuring the way you introduce the information properly. And you have done mm -hmm. it properly, so it's working, and that's the way it should be. Not, the, not to say that there weren't any bumps in the road. You know, right. uh, there have been things that we've worked through, but having having coached help us out with that, not work, not only working with me, but working directly with some of our leaders, I think has been super helpful. Yeah. So let's talk about coaching for just a second. Okay. Because I think that many times, again, just speaking from my experience with peers, friends that, uh, that run other businesses, there's this idea that, well, yeah, you know what, Lee, I think I had this. When, when I first contacted you for the very first time we talked, I talked with you about the fact that I felt that I needed a business coach. Mm -hmm. And you helped me understand that it wasn't just me, that there were other people in the organization that needed some outside perspective also. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that made a huge difference in my business, and I'm grateful for that. Tell me a little bit about the transformation that people might see when they invite a coach into a business, especially if that coach has uh, influence in other parts of the organization besides just the leader of the organization. Well, my experience has been when I start at the executive level, the top, the owner, the CEO of an organization, that it grows to the next level as well. 
because mm. the transition is important. As the executive owner of the business is looking to transform or build or sustain or promote their culture, typically the transformation requires that they have people that are directly reporting to them involved and supporting mm. and being able to understand what's going on and how it's going to be transformative for the entire corporation. It's the culture of every business is driven by the top, is driven by the executives. And when you're talking about transformational culture change, it is a very important condition that requires more than one person driving the bus. So it's important to understand who is going to be actually promoting the, the process and, and developing the culture and sustaining it as it moves forward. Hmm. And that's not quite often understood. Every, every company has a culture, and it's always driven by the owner or executive of the organization. But they don't often understand that. It's either driven and developed by default, which is around their own personality, or it's driven and promoted by direct planning. And hmm. the planned culture is far more effective than the default culture. So the transformation of a culture becomes a critical condition that really requires leadership beyond just the owner of the business. Hmm. I love that uh, because, and again, you know, I'm speaking a lot from my own personal experience growing a business from one person up. Mm -hmm. There's a period of time there where, you know, especially early, early on, you are 100%, you're doing everything. You know, right. we've, we've joked many times about, you know, being the technician and the salesperson and the bookkeeper, the marketing person and right. so on. But eventually you've got to hand over some of those reins and bring other people into the organization and let it go and uh that includes i'm not saying i'm not suggesting that folks outsource culture building to their leaders but that is an, an effect what what can happen as the other leaders in the organization have more influence they can impact the culture and of course as the leader of the organization we want to keep that thing on rails right, right. and work and working in the same direction right that's a critical leadership focus because right. you're talking about a shift from being individually responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen to now being responsible for others who have the same requirement to be responsible for what fails to happen or what does happen positively. Mm -hmm. hmm. So Lee, when you go in and work with these very diverse organizations, large and small from all kinds of different industries, are there some common benchmarks that you use to measure progress and make sure that you're feeling confident that we're moving in the right direction? Yes. I think probably communication effectiveness is number one. When hmm. I hear an owner CEO tell me, this is what I think we're doing and how we're doing. And I find from their direct reports that they have a completely different opinion. <laughs> That's a cause for concern. Right. The other is achievement of prioritized goals. When things are prioritized and the achievement is working in the right direction and it's consistent with where the owner wants to go, then that's an affirming condition. Technical condition is a 360 feedback tool. Hmm. Right. Which gives the owners and the leaders in the organization the opportunity to see what the opinions of the organization are. The ultimate goal, obviously, is the achievement of the business and the performance of the business. And those things tend to tend to blossom. And I have been told by many clients, I had no idea we could reach this. We could do this well. Right. It's that's, a, that's an ultimate compliment, right? Well, it's a compliment to them because they, they mm. had the resources and the energy and the capability all along. It was just a matter of structuring it so that they could achieve it. You mentioned some of the different personalities that work earlier in our conversation. And 
you know, I've seen this play out in my organization. And what I've come to believe is that some folks are more natural task oriented people. Mm -hmm. So they feel success by having a list of things to do and checking the, the box and making sure that those things get done. And then others, and, and I think I fall into this category, prefer to spend their time sort of thinking about what the future is going to be like. And uh, they tend to, you know, a lot of times folks would refer to me as a dreamer, for example, because I'm thinking about what you know is going to happen 10 years from now. And I quickly get bored with some of the task-based things of, of getting things done. But it, I think uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are faced with the very difficult challenge of being good at both. Do you find that folks are, make the transition to successful leader that they're wired in a particular way, or do you think that's successful to everyone? I think you've made the transition very successfully. You have you. moved from the task-oriented focus, which is required to be successful initially, to a more visionary condition, which is when you've got a successful business, it's much more satisfying to the owner to be able to guide and direct the business from, from a vision standpoint rather than having to check off the boxes and, and deal with it from a task standpoint. Not everyone can make that transition, Matt. Um, hmm. And what happens with those who can't they end up stagnating. They end up being able to only move as far as their personal capacity can allow the organization to move. They end up either with a burnout condition or they end up selling their business. But it is not, they're not able to transform both themselves and the company to achieve much higher levels. That is not an uncommon condition. And it's unfortunate, but it's a matter of the decision process that the individual owner makes. If they make a decision, I want to get out of this. I want to stop doing this. I want this business to run more effectively, either without me or because of me from a vision standpoint. Uh, they can make the transition, but often it's, it's very difficult to do. Mm. Well, Thank you for the compliment. Uh, you know, I'll point out to our listeners that I've had uh, a lot of help and it's been a long period of time. That's <laughs> something that uh, worked out for, for a long time. So it wasn't something that's happened overnight. And I would suggest that uh, that transition's not over. It's still something that's under development. Tell us a little bit about Convene. We mentioned it in our intro. Yes. Tell us about your focus there and what, what you're doing. Convene is a national organization which has as its mission to connect, equip, and inspire Christian CEOs and business owners to grow exceptional businesses and become higher impact leaders to honor God. That's the basic mission. I am the chairman of the local advisory board on which members focus on that mission for their businesses. I see. And so it's, so it's a peer level support group. So you're leading a group in the metro Atlanta area of Christian business owners that are looking to uh, build their businesses and at the same time, honor their faith. Yes. And I think one of the benefits that I'm hearing out of that is that not only do participants have feedback from their peers, but uh, hey, they get a, a really great business coach out of the deal too. <laughs> It comes <laughs> along with the whole situation, yes. I work with them on a coaching process as well as the forum team. Gotcha. I love it. We were going to ask you towards the end of this how folks can get in touch with you, but I think there might be some of our listeners that might be interested in talking more about that. I'd be glad to talk with them. So I confess, Lee, I've known you a long time, and the entire time all I've really known is that you're older than I am. <laughs> But I know that I've been thinking for a while, gosh, one of these days I'd love to retire, but you seem to get a lot of energy out of, out of working. How do, you, how do you relax and unplug, or do you? Well, I think you've experienced some of that. My wife and I have a cabin in, uh, in Tocoa, Georgia, 
That's right, up in the mountains. We're on the lake, uh, Lake Hartwell, and I enjoy relaxing up there and fishing and being on the water and working with little projects that I start. And my wife has said, you've always got some project going on. And I, I said, I hadn't thought about that, but that's the way things are. <laughs> so it, it's just fun to keep that kind of thing going. I love it. Do you, so do you try to separate your business and your work depending on your location? Or are you happy to, to work in the mountains and do projects back home? I do both. Okay. So I work from the cabin and work from home. It's just a matter of what the schedule is. You must have a good internet up there. I do. It works pretty, <laughs> at least it's been reliable so far. Excellent. Well, fantastically, I think it's time to move on to what we call our lightning round. Okay. And this is just a few questions that we ask all of our guests. And I'd uh, love to hear some answers from you. So tell us about who's a person that's been in your life that's made a profound impact on your journey? I had, when I was just a first lieutenant in the Army, I was reporting directly to a colonel. And he mm. actually impacted me probably stronger than anybody else I've experienced. Really? And shortly after I left the service, he was promoted to general. Wow. But he had a great deal of impact on me and I also on him. But he gave me the support that was necessary to completely transform a process that the Army had been uh, been doing wrong. Mm. He supported me to correct it, and the results were astounding. Wow. So uh, he was very instrumental in making that happen. He also tried to prevent me from leaving the Army, but that was, was a different story. <laughs> you know, it's really great. And I don't know how those things happen, but, but it is really great when someone takes an interest in another human and sort of takes them under their wing and says, hey, let me, let me see if I can help you out here. It sounds like that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. I love it. So in your, you, you, might have, you might have the opportunity here to give us the best answer we've ever heard. I'm going to set you up for success here. <laughs> Because you've had so many interactions with several different, all kinds of different businesses and industries, what's the single most important lesson you've learned in your professional career? That's a very simple answer for me. Oh, good. I've learned to ask more questions than to make statements. Mm. And I found that asking questions is a farther, carries the results much farther than making statements. Is that because you're learning something out of asking the question, or is it because you're causing the person you're asking to think? Both. <laughs> I'll tell you the other secret about asking questions is you can ask questions continuously until you get the person to understand what you're trying to communicate. Hmm. I think our kids do that. Yes. Why, why is it like that? Why? Well, why? <laughs> it, it works with everybody except your wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. So are there any books or I don't know if you, you, are you a YouTube guy? Do you listen to podcasts? What, uh, what's your favorite way to learn? And what are some of your favorite influential media? Well, I have a whole library of books, but recently I've been able to use a service that's provided by Convene to all its members. Oh, interesting. And that's called Right Now Media. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I'm not familiar right with now, that. Media includes in-person videos of virtually all the, the well-known business leaders, ah. well-known coaches, well-known authors. And it is a very powerful tool to be able to use that. And I've been hmm. using that more than anything, both with my forum team and personally. Interesting. So kind of like a private TED Talk channel for, yes. for members? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. Very nice. Is there a favorite speaker out there that you, you enjoy hearing? I probably think Pat Lencioni has been uh, enjoyable. He's right. he's very personable in his presentation. But there are others that are just as good. Right. And they have, they have a message that's, that's worth hearing. 
Yeah, Pat Lencioni is a favorite for sure. Lee, thank you so much. What's the best way for people to reach you if, they, if they're interested in Convene or interested in coaching services? How can they reach you? Well, my office phone number is 770-979-3467, and it's extension number two. There you go. My email for Convene is lee.wolf, W-O-L-F-E, at convenenow.com. So I would welcome the opportunity to speak with anyone that listened to this and found some benefit in it. Excellent. Terrific. Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap things up. Lee, from myself and our audience, thank you so much for joining us today. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Should you have any suggestions on future topics that you'd like to hear more about, please email us at podcasts at rocketit.com. And finally, a quick plug for Rocket IT. We help businesses leverage technology to create seamless networks that encourage productivity and profitability. To learn how a personalized roadmap can bring efficiency to your business and clarity to your team, visit rocketit.com slash roadmap help or click the link in this episode's description. Thank you so much, Lee. We loved having you. Thank you.